MassFly's total recruitment marketing platform and services proactively market an employer brand and jobs through every recruiting channel. It uses marketing automation technology and modern marketing practices. It empowers companies to attract the right people to their organization using the art and science of fit. It enables companies to generate leads and nurture relationships to hire faster and more cost-effectively. Smashfly's open API allows for integration with all major ATSs, job boards, and third-party recruiting tools. The platform can scale to meet the complex needs of global enterprise organizations. Visit blog.smashfly.com to get great content on recruitment marketing strategy and practices. And good morning. This is HR Examiner Big Ideas, and I'm your host, John Sumpser. Today, we're going to be talking with Peter Hinson, who variously is the founder of a company called Networks, Nextworks, N-E-X-X-W-O-R-K-S, which is a consultancy that helps large organizations figure out innovation. He's going to be the keynote at HR Tech World in San Francisco next week. We're looking forward to seeing him there. And he is in the middle of writing his fourth book, The Day After Tomorrow, which is about surviving in times of radical innovation. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good morning, John. Really good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Would you take just a moment and fix the flaws in my introduction? I want to be sure that people have a clear picture of you. I'd be more than happy to. Um, it's, uh, I'm a technologist by training. I um, spent 20 years uh, building startups. That was my life for 20 years. I had a chance to um, to sell two companies and then IPO the last one. And after 20 years, my family had had enough. They were fed up with the startup life, and they wanted me to switch, uh, which I did. I started teaching at London Business School a couple of years ago on technology and disruption. I've been doing the same since last year at uh, IT in Boston. And um, I basically spend my days working with large organizations, trying to figure out how they can really react to all these fundamental changes starting off. That's, uh, in a nutshell, my background. So what's the biggest thing you're wrestling with today? I think the biggest thing that um, I'm wrestling with is how do large companies really transform themselves? I think uh, it's fascinating to see that large organizations are realizing that their their scale was an enormous asset in the 20th century. It seems to be like they've come to the conclusion that being big is an awful thing to be in the 21st century. Uh, I see large organizations being extremely jealous of all these startups who are agile and talking about um, fluid ways of working. And then and it seems to be like these large corporates are just deer staring into the headlights of the oncoming car. They see all these big changes, all these fundamental things coming at them and difficult for them to transform. And this is what I try to do or try to help. But I think it's a, it's a real struggle if you see the challenges for these large organizations. That's such a funny thing. That's the idea that big companies are jealous of startups is fascinating. I, I can't imagine anything more ironic because all startups essentially want to become big companies. So when you talk about what's the future of a startup, it is disappointment and envy from the fact that you're no longer a startup. Absolutely. And I think it is truly ironic because, as you said, every startup wants to scale and be big. And it seems to me like the inevitability of growing and becoming large is that you become, you know, really stale and, and almost impossible to move quickly. So I, I think in some way there are 
more dynamic cycles at, at work there. But uh, the envy is clearly there. And, and I think what you, what you see now with large organizations is they're realizing that three things are fundamentally changing. They're, they're seeing that the way they have to engage with customers is, is totally transforming. And most of them have actually done something about that in the last five or 10 years. The second thing is they see they need to completely change their organizations and, and be much more agile and more fluid and, and, and have a, a system of more responsiveness inside their organization. And the third thing they see is that many of these new ideas new concepts and new technologies could radically change the rules of the game. It could change the business model. And I think what is interesting is that the, the, the customer side, most companies have tackled that. In the, in the last 10 years, you've seen that the way we market to customers, the way we talk to customers, the way that we engage, that has become extremely tech-driven, data-driven, and, and most companies have transformed their go-to-market. But I think the next challenge is really in the organizational side. I think there's an enormous um, I think angst with many HR departments on what is about to happen, and probably they're going to have to do the same type of transition that's happened with customers in the market in the last years. But in my opinion, most of them are not prepared. I find it interesting. The more that I look at what's about to happen, the more I see that we're going to have to apply sort of, sort of human resources behavioral principles to machines. It turns out, I don't know how closely you're following AI and machine learning, but it turns out that in order to make intelligent machine participation in the workforce, you have to train them and supervise them. And the training and supervision costs for digital employees uh, are non-trivial, are non-trivial. And, and, and I don't think that HR or the management of, of our big companies understands what that means. Do you see that? Yeah, I, I, I think um, it's something that is interesting to observe. Um, what is happening in the world of AI and machine learning, this is, um, this is giving me goosebumps as a technologist. I, I had a, a long huh. discussion with some of the faculty members at MIT just a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying, this is a really strange time because they talked to first-year students at MIT about artificial intelligence. By the time they graduate as computer scientists or engineers, probably the field will have completely changed in, in those four or five years. So this is a, a fascinating time in history to be alive. And, and you're right, what we see more and more is that it's not just about raw computing power, it's about subtle nuances. It's about figuring out a way to, to almost humanize what is behind the technology. But at the same time, I think we see that we need to drastically reform how we think about organizations and how organizations run and work. And then coming back to that envy of the, the large organizations, they a lot of corporates look at these startups and see how incredibly agile they are. They, they, they can see an opportunity in the morning and shapeshift the afternoon to address that. And in a world where technology is changing things in, in so many ways and in such velocity, I think this becomes almost the core asset of any large organization, the, the capability to be agile. It's not about speed. I think that was the, the previous generation. It's really about this idea of figuring out a way to actually be agile and to be responsive. And I think this is something where technology could also play a role. If you think about how almost medieval our workplace today is, we have people who are constantly clicking on emails inside organizations. 
but we've lost this capability of understanding how to, to network. This is what these startups do much more fluently. And I think these are some of the technologies that large corporations are going to have to incorporate. So you're going to be talking at the um, HR Tech World Conference in San Francisco next week. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Um, Very excited to be there. Yeah. So, so let's talk about, about your talk. You're going to be speaking on the topic of how organizations can survive the day after tomorrow. What's well, it's, it's some, yeah, it's something that I started working on a while ago. Is that um, I, I wrote a book called The New Normal about what happens when technology becomes normal. I think we've seen that play out. The, the, the previous book was called The Network Always Wins about network effects. And I think in many cases what we've seen is that um, this has played out in the consumer space. Uh, if you look at a marketing department today, it's filled with data scientists and they understand analytics and, and the power of data. And this is a done deal. In organizations, we're still running companies like it's you know, 1983. Um, and most of the tools are basically uh, from that era as well. And I think what's going to happen is we're entering a world of, 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 of extreme volatility. We see things happening faster than ever before. People talk about exponential. Um, I'm, I'm not the biggest exponential believer in the world, but it is going really, really fast. And I started this very simple mental framework to, to talk to organizations about how much of your time, energy or assets or resources, do you spend in today, tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow? This sounds trivial, and I'm not going to win a Nobel Prize with that, but it's actually so dumb that it actually sticks in people's minds. And what is today? Today is the, the 112 emails that you get on Monday morning that you didn't even know you'd worry about the, the night before. And we spend a lot of time in today. And then you see people looking at tomorrow. Uh, a really good example is budgeting. M many big corporations, they have these budgeting cycles in which they spend the same amount of energy to figure out what next year's budget is going to be. And once they have next year's budget, they realize, well, it's actually already outdated, but at least it's right. And then there's the day after tomorrow. New ideas, new concepts, new technologies, radically new business models that could really change the rules of the game. How much of your time to you spend on day tomorrow, day after tomorrow? Many people tell me 70, 20, 10. And I think this is like New Year's resolutions. This is what you hope to do on Monday morning. But when you go to, you know, when you come back on Friday night, you realize it wasn't 70, 20, 10. It was more like 93, 7, and 0. You, you never had time for these radically new ideas. And I think this worked fine in the 20th century, but in this world where the day after tomorrow comes sooner, I think we've got to really change that. And my perception is that if you would actually look at this day after tomorrow and calculate back, you would probably have a different tomorrow. Most people look at tomorrow with the lens of today. Take what they have today and then they extrapolate. They try to predict the future by looking at what they know today. And I think that is a fundamental shift that we need to have. And I see many companies now trying to address that in, in their strategic intent. They're looking at strategy with this lens of the day after tomorrow. But I think we're going to have to do the same for organizations. I think we're going to have to rethink organizations for that day after tomorrow. If I make the analogy, I think it's going to be exactly like we had with marketing 10 years ago. If you look at HR departments, there are very few data scientists. There are very few people who really understand analytics. There are very few people who are thinking about using intelligence instead of just raw data. I think that transformation in the next 10 years is going to be wonderful to observe. I think 
What happened in marketing 10 years ago is going to happen in HR. And I think this is an era where you know, people are going to have to step up how they are bold enough to think about organizations in this day after tomorrow. So that's interesting. Um, you, know, you know, my sense is that um, what marketing got really good at doing is looking directly at right now and taking its eye off of the future, right? The, the thing that happened in marketing as it modernized is it focused more and more and more on the immediate transaction. And, and it seems to me that, that what HR and the rest of the organization have to do is something other than that. But often the only template available is the marketing template. Um, so so how, do you, how do you handle the sort of challenge that the, that the first group to get across the line took an approach that really works there but is non-useful in the HR and organizational world? Well, it's true that in, in marketing, what happened is that they tried to address you know, the, the real-time issues in, in the sense that it doesn't make sense to have an analysis about the, the ultimate way to treat a customer if the customer just spends half a second on your website and you lose. It's about being there and, and you know, understanding what real-time means. In a way, I think this is something that uh, is going to be applicable to the HR site. Um, it would be great to be able to connect people together who could learn from each other. It would be great to put people together who understand that they're maybe working on, on similar sides of the same challenges. But I think the, the bigger idea here is that we've need, we need to figure out what type of an organizational pattern organizational system or organizational design that we really want for this fast-changing world. That's the, the day-after-tomorrow pattern. And I think HR people are quite puzzled by that. There are a couple of things together. New technologies, new insights, um, intelligence, um, information becomes core, a completely new workforce that is more in tune with than ever before. And it, I think it's this combination of stuff that we need to figure out how to address. And, and I see many HR leaders being extremely puzzled about that. And I think they're going to be under a lot of pressure in the next couple of years. I, I spent a lot of time with CIOs in the, in the last couple of years. The, the, the IT managers of large organizations have had a really, really tough time. I mean, you're, you probably remember a couple of years ago, people like Gardner were saying, oh, the, the chief marketing officer has more technology budget than the CIO. Um, and this was not a this was not a good time to be an, an, a CIO. And there's a lot of irony in that, in the sense that in any normal universe where technology becomes so dominant, CIOs should have been rock stars. They should have been the heroes of any corporation. And, and we knew what happened. They were seen as the suppliers of the old instead of you know the the the, the suppliers of the new. I think what I now see happening is that in many many companies this this baton is being passed on to the HR executive. I, I see a lot of companies where IT has gotten a lot of flack in the last 10 years. The CIO was not the most enviable position on the board. And now the CIO is extremely happy to almost pass that on to the HR leadership. And I think this is, uh, I think, a wake-up call. I think this is where HR needs to step up to the game and, and really address these issues. It's, it's going to be fascinating. I'm part of the 
part of the trend that you're pointing out is that the brand new seems to always calcify and and the question that it seems to me that you're wrestling with is how do you keep the newness about any any function and what happened in it is is they got given a great deal of power and then started to be consumed by the fact that they had a great deal of power and so people routed around them because they became slow and conservative. Mm -hmm. And this seems to be the dynamic that you are sort of an itinerant missionary headed out to fix where, where bigness equals calcification and you're trying to help people discover the fountain of youth. Is, is, is that what you do? But I think um, it's, it's not just about fountain of youth. I think it's about figuring out where the flaws are or where the, um, I think the, 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 the potential to fix things um, should actually be focused on. I see a lot of companies now that are focusing on building a workforce that has agility, that thinks outside of boundaries and silos, that has the courage to try things and to experiment. That's, that's what I see many companies aiming to build. And the fundamental thing is they're going from a transition, from a, a more static way of looking at engagement with employees to a much more fluid way. Um, there is a next generation workforce that maybe doesn't accept the type of career that the previous had and, and they think more in terms of fluidity and project. They, they think in assignments and not in contracts. They think in commitments and not in trust. They, they think in relevance and not in loyalty. That's a, a really interesting blend of trying to figure out how to be relevant for that next generation workforce. And that, that idea of, of fluidity is, I think, puzzling because we just don't have the mechanisms to do that. Uh, one of the strange things that I do is I take a lot of these large corpus to the startups. We do a lot of these um, almost inspiration journeys where we take executives from big corporations and we show them how these new type of companies are working. And of course, Google's and the Facebooks are, are great examples of, of how they're doing things differently. And, and I often when I take these executives, they're mesmerized. They, they, they see them sitting on furniture they made themselves and they bring their dog to work and they, they have meetings around ping pong tables and, and more dogs. And, and they go back to their traditional organization and think, we don't have enough dogs. And I think, no, that's, that's a completely wrong way of looking at it. It's not the, <laughs> the superficial thing. It's, 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 you'd be amazed. I mean, it, it, you have executives say, we, we need a ping pong table. We need a ping pong table. And you think, no, it's fundamentally different. It's, it's appealing to, I think, uh, people talk about digital natives. And, and all, honestly, I don't think this next generation is digital natives. They're network natives. They've learned to behave in a network. And I think figuring out a way to transform organizations more into this network type fluidity, that's going to require also a whole different approach to information. We need to figure out what is actually living inside our companies. And in a small startup, you don't need technology to do that. It's just, you know, the, the intricacy of the, of the, the startup itself that just supplies that. But in larger organizations, I don't, I don't remember which CEO of Hewlett Packard it was who said it, but, I remember one statement from the CEO of HP that if only HP knew what HP knows, we'd be three times as effective. And I think this applies now to any type of organization. We've got to figure out if we want to be fluid, 
to leverage the power of information, and that's going to be a big challenge for HR. That's that's really interesting. We talked a bit about the envy that large organizations have for small, nimble startups. It seems to me that that in some ways we're talking about leadership's envy problem. And and what happens when you get caught up in envy is you stop being able to see what you have. One of the things that that I'm reasonably sure of is that the skills necessary to navigate the next wave of things are already implicitly available in large organizations. It's just that the leadership can't see and appreciate what they have. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's it's it probably is, and and that's why I don't want to give up on large organizations. It would be easy to say you're all a bunch of dinosaurs. You know, forget it. But I don't. I, I honestly believe that if they have a capability to reinvent that that fabric of how they work, most of them were a small company, were a startup at one point in their lives, and I, I you know. Probably the most wonderful study I've ever done in my life is on thermodynamics. It's what makes the universe the universe. It's entropy and things that are super fluid turning into frozen. It's a wonderful branch of science. And I think companies are the same. They start out super fluid. They, they, they grow. They hope to remain fluid. And, and at a certain moment, they find something that makes money. And then they freeze. They freeze the business model because don't touch it. It makes money. They freeze the organization. And if there's one thing thermodynamics teaches us is that if you stay frozen for too long, you become rigid and you die. And I think it's about turning this into a cycle. It's about trying to reinvent yourself. And in that sense, it is a little bit the fountain of youth. But I, I do believe that large corporations, if they can reinvent themselves, they can then truly use their, their, their power, their assets, their, their financials, their brand to be even more dominant in this 21st century. But I do think they need to reinvent their fabric. So, so uh, a quick question. I think you're about to get a big bonus when you come to visit San Francisco at Fort Mason uh, for the uh, HR Tech World Show next week. Are you familiar with the Long Now Foundation? Do you know about them? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The Long Now is something that I've been following for some time. So you know their headquarters are in Fort Mason right around the corner from this hall. And that their bar, the interval, um, where they serve a gin made from bristlecone pine, which is the oldest uh, living organism on the American continent, uh, it'll be worth a stop while you're there to to check in with the folks at the long now. Yeah, and it it resonates with that day after tomorrow theme for sure. That's uh, absolutely yeah, Fort Mason. Fort Mason is a wonderful place for thinking deeply about the long-term future. While, which is right around the corner from the from the trade show hall as well. So it's a wonderful place for you to be able to to work because it's a center of things that uh, resonate with your work. Is there anything you, anything that you'd like? to take away, to have the audience take away from this talk? I think I'd love them to think about, are we prepared in HR for this day after tomorrow, which is accelerating? Are we using the information that we actually have inside our company to, to the maximum potential? 
And do we need to rethink the, um, the, the functionality and, and the role of HR to accelerate uh, in, into a journey into agility? I think that's, uh, if I can trigger people with that thought, that would be, that would be fantastic. So as we, as we, as we wrap, up the, wrap up the conversation, when does your next book come out and how do people get it? The book's going to be available on the 22nd of June, and it's going to be on Amazon or uh, via our website, www.nextworks.com. Next with two X's. Um, and the title of the book is The Day After Tomorrow, yes? The Day After Tomorrow. And I'm well aware that there is a science fiction disaster movie with the same title. We've spent quite a lot of legal time with um, the folks in Hollywood to figure out that we, we, we have the right to the book. So I'm very happy about that. So if somebody wants to keep up with you and, and follow you, what's the best way to be in touch with you and the best way to see how your thinking is evolving? Well, um, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm one of the LinkedIn influencers, so just follow me on LinkedIn. That would be wonderful, Peter Hinson, H-A-N-S-S-E-N, or just send me an email, uh, peter at nextworks.com, and I'd be more than happy to follow up. Well, Peter, this has been a great call, and, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you next week at the HR Tech World Show at Fort Mason. Um, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. Thank you very much, John. I really enjoyed the talk, and looking forward to seeing you next week at HR Tech. All right, and so you have been listening to um, HR Examiner Radio. We've been talking with Peter Hinson, who is going to be the keynote at next week's show. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. And again, Peter, thanks for taking the time to do this. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Bye-bye now.